Welcome to the Functional Medicine Radio Show with your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, known internationally as the Functional Medicine Doc. Dr. Carrie is committed to helping patients find the root cause of their health problems and fixing the cause with natural treatments so they can feel normal again. Dr. Carrie is the founder of Functional Medicine Ontario and is the author of the hit book, Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again. Please welcome your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Functional Medicine Radio Show, the only Internet radio show dedicated to giving you real solutions to improve your health. Not only are they real solutions, but they're natural solutions as well, because as you know, the one and only true wealth you have is your health. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, the Functional Medicine Doc, and I'm committed to helping you find the root cause of your health problem, fix the cause with natural treatments, so you can feel normal again and live your life to the fullest. Just a quick bit of how housekeeping before I introduce today's special guest. I'm so happy to announce my first book is now in print. The title is Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again, Fixing the Root Cause of Your Fatigue with Natural Treatments. I've discovered 14 root causes of fatigue. I like to call them the fatigue factors, and in this book I explain eight of the 14. And our special guest today is going to focus on one of them in particular about the adrenals. So, I'm so very excited about our show this week because my special guest is Dr. Alan Christensen. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Dr. Christensen is an Arizona-based naturopathic doctor who helps people overcome adrenal and thyroid problems and achieve lasting weight loss. He authored the New York Times best-selling books, The Adrenal Reset Diet and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Thyroid Disease. Dr. Christensen is the founding physician behind Integrative Health. Dr. Christensen, thank you so much for being my special guest today on this episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. (laughs) Dr. Christensen, within my office, just like within your office, we get so many patients that are struggling with their weight. They want to lose weight. They think they're doing all the right things as far as eating the right foods, getting the right amount of calories, exercising the right way, but it's just not coming off. So can you tell our audience what the underlying cause really could be? You know, that's the thing. We're told that it's all about just calories or being lazy or whatnot. And and the the rates of weight gain have been unprecedented. And we're seeing it among many, many people and also many species of animals that are not people that really don't have the capacity for willpower. One of the most striking things that I've seen was the data that uh, chimpanzees in laboratory controlled environments, you know, their food is measured, their activity is controlled. They've been gaining upwards of about 30% weight per decade, last several decades. So once we see that, we realize it's not anymore about just being lazy or being indulgent. And what I've argued in the Adrenal Reset Diet is that the, the body has this capacity to prepare for danger. You know, we go into the survival mode. And when we're in that mode, we store weight more easily. So it's not about just starving and, and forcing yourself to do more. It's about making your body feel more secure. So can you talk a little bit more about what you mean about survival mode? For sure. You know, in the distant past, oftentimes... Our, our dangers were life or death dangers. You know, we had predators that, that could go after us or we could have just inadequate food supplies. And in response to that, there's this thing called a fight or flight mechanism that many have likely heard of. 
and that allows us to put out more energy for a brief period of time to save our lives. But that same mechanism also changes what we do with our food. It causes us to store more fat around our organs in order to survive if there was a food shortage that we were about to face. And so basically, in survival mode, we're kind of programming our body to keep body fat on. Correct. We're training our body to hold on to fat because there, there may not be food available. And there's some things that you know one might think of as rather apparent triggers, like the the huge stressors that we could face or you know, nasty boss, the financial pressure. But there's a big number of things that turn that same response on that really are invisible. And that can be things like uh, just artificial lights or you know the way we manage our schedules or a big number of pollutants that we're exposed to or some elements of processed food. And these things, they don't appear like obvious stalking tigers, but they can do the same thing to our bodies that a real danger can. So can you talk a little bit more about what you just said? Because I, I think for a lot of people, they understand about stress and how it affects them. And typically, they think of stress as mental, emotional stress. But yeah. you and I know that there's stressors that can be generated inside the body. So what would you say are your top three that you commonly see as the internal stressors? You know, the top, the top three that I've talked about have been uh, pressures. So there are things that are very real pressures that we face in life. Uh-huh. But then we've also got pollutants uh, that can be chemicals, things like lead or plastic derivatives. That can be sound pollution, you know, not being quiet environments. And then the last one would really be processed foods. And within the processed foods, probably the biggest thing being fructose. You know, it's a type of carbohydrate that we never had a lot of in our past. And now it's been added to so many foods that it's something that does directly turn us into that storage, that storage mode. So I could see, and I'm sure my listeners can see that we are so surrounded these days now by pollutants. And I like that you put on your list sound pollution. I really like that because a a lot of people don't realize that the noise that they are being, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm just having a brain fart there, Alan. (laughs) Background noise. The noise. Okay, so I got it. So I think a lot of them don't realize the noise that they're being exposed to is also creating a stress on their body and then keeping it in survival mode. So can you talk about um, how do we get ourselves out of that survival mode? How do we turn that off? Yeah, and that's that's kind of the, the $64 million question or whatever it is. And on one hand, it could seem almost futile because the number of stressors and the prevalence of them is so great. But... I wanted to find some real simple solutions that even if you couldn't make the world a perfect place tomorrow, you could still reset your body and move it out of that storage state. And I started thinking about how, you know, cortisol being the main stress hormone, how it works and what what its other jobs are. And maybe some of that would open up a leverage point. And I realized that cortisol also manages blood sugar. So if you if you're late for a meal or if you're not eating for a while, your body won't have your blood sugar drop so low you go into a coma. You'll make some internally and put it in your bloodstream. Well, cortisol helps that. Cortisol makes that happen. So I realized that if the foods that create sugar in the bloodstream, if they were timed in a strategic way, they could help improve the timing of cortisol. And when someone's in this survival mode, that's what's going on in terms of measurable changes is that 
their cortisol timing is no longer healthy. So by using foods, you can help to reset that cortisol timing. So in your book, can you explain a little bit about the diet that you recommend in order to try and keep that cortisol rhythm intact? For sure. The starting, the starting thing, there's always with diets, there's always things not to do and things to do. And the, the things not to do are the things you probably would have heard before about avoiding fructose or avoiding certain types of food. You know, for many things like wheat or dairy or eggs can be, can be issues and processed foods are just full of chemicals. So just cutting out some real problematic foods. And that's the what not to do. But the what to do is a pretty new message. You know, when I was uh, in the in the 80s, I was, a, I was a competitive runner, and at the time, low-fat diets were very popular. Uh-huh. And it seemed very straightforward that if someone was had too much fat on their body or they had too much fat in their blood vessels, it was because they had too much fat in their diet. And it seemed like such a simple, simple explanation. And now it's almost laughable, but there was a time in which the idea that you know maybe a few drizzles of olive oil on your food weren't all that bad, and maybe fats could actually be good for you. And I think we've gone full circle the opposite way to where now we're just scared to death of carbs. And I argue that carbs are really not good or bad. They're just a tool. And for sure, too many processed carbs is one of the quickest shortcuts to bad health. But some can work better for most than none. And timing makes a big difference. So the general idea is that if you time them and you have more of them later in the day and less of them earlier in the day, you know, you can sleep better, but also you can improve that cortisol cycle and move your body out of that storage state and improve, improve your energy production. So can you give some symptoms that a person might notice if they've eaten too many carbs or if they haven't eaten enough carbs? Well, pretty, pretty different. If the diet is too high in carbs, then the main issue is really blood sugar being pretty erratic. You know, what happens is that we've got protein, fats, and carbs, and if we're high in carbs, that means we're going to be lower in protein and or lower in fat. And in those cases, it takes much more frequent food intake and much higher volume of food. So an easy way that one would know that is that they're just really hungry all the time and they're never really full or satisfied. It's a common issue. As far as eating too little carbs, what happens there is that the first thing is that sleep quality can suffer. So a lot of papers have shown that within 48 hours of getting below roughly 50 grams of carbohydrate per day, your deep, refreshing REM sleep may be compromised by more than an hour. So those are the two most common things with being way too high or way too low. So just to reiterate what you just said for our listeners out there, if you're the type of person that has to eat all day long because you're just always hungry, it could be because you're eating too many carbs. Yep, that can be a possibility. And And honestly, I don't see that too much in terms of people who are in the in the health space today and reading books and trying to improve their health, that's not very common. But I do see many that have thought that carbs were the villain and they just cut them out completely. I have seen many that have gone just too low. And I've also seen many to where the carbs they have, they're mostly having in the morning. And that really sets the stage for not being very energized or mentally alert. And also it creates cravings later in the day, but also it puts the body more in that storage state. That makes perfect sense, and I'm sure you see it within your practice, just like I do, that a lot of people are struggling with their sleep, and this could just be a simple solution for them that they need to switch their carbs to eat it later in the day. That makes complete sense. I love that. 
Yeah, and I have I've heard a common concern about, you know, some experts have argued that if you were to eat carbs, you should eat them earlier when you could burn them. And the presumption is that you're going to burn them right after you eat them. And, you know, it seems logical, but it's just not how the body works. You know, one of the examples I've put out is that uh, with, with marathons, someone's expecting to exert huge amounts of energy. A classic ritual is to do a, a big dinner, like a pasta dinner is common the night before, not for breakfast. Yeah, <laughs> not, yeah. Not for breakfast before you go run an hour later, but the evening before. And that's based on the concept that the best way you can process your food is to make glycogen out of it. You can make energy out of it. But that takes many hours, like at least 10 hours or more. So having something in the evening is actually setting it up to be fuel for the following day more so than the opposite. I'm so happy that we're talking about diet. Now, in your book, do you talk about other easy things that people can do to help regain their adrenal rhythm and their cortisol balance? I do. And I I did show in a clinical trial that the diet alone, regardless of where someone's adrenal health is, the diet alone can be pretty helpful. There's many other great strategies, as you mentioned, but I've, I've, my perspective is that those strategies can be a good fit if someone knows more about their particular needs. I almost think about them like a shoe. Like, you know, you wouldn't uh-huh. go on Zappos and just blindly order a shoe. You know, you, you need a boy's shoe or a girl's shoe. You know, what size do you need? Do you need a, a sandal or a boot or a tennis shoe? And so when the adrenals are not working right, there's really different patterns. You know, one pattern is that the body is trying to restrict and lower cortisol. Another pattern is the body is trying to excessively raise cortisol. And a third pattern is the body is making cortisol at the wrong times. And they're all pretty different in what their needs are. So in the book, I put a pretty simple quiz that anyone can take, which is also at adrenalquiz.com. It's a free quiz, and it'll tell you what your current level of adrenal health is, whether it's that high, low, or backwards. And, And then the strategies you would do, such as, you know, herbal adaptogens or mind-body therapies or uses of, of light throughout the day, those can all be so much more effective if they're tailored to what your particular needs are. I'll make sure that our listeners uh, get that link. I'll, I'll make sure that we post it our, in our podcast notes so they can find that questionnaire quite easily and do that. So you and I, we both are big believers that your diet is your best medicine. So can you explain to our listeners a little bit more about the clinical trial that you explain in your book? For sure. You know, and it was a really neat thing. Um, I've had, Like you, I'm sure I've had so many people that have just struggled with, with diets. They've done any number of them and either they just did not work or they regained weight right afterwards again. So we cast out a, a survey requesting people to participate. And I said, hey, look, I really want people that are between, you know, later 20s and mid 50s. And uh, I want people that have not had an easy time with their weight, you know, ideally between about 15 to 40 pounds above your preferred target, and at least having had at least three diets that you've attempted and not had work for you in the last few years. So I wanted people that have really been struggling that it had not been an easy thing for, because I wanted to see as a group, what what their adrenal health was like, you know, if they really did have more adrenal issues than, than average. And also I wanted to see how they could respond to, to just the diet. And, and boy, when I saw their scores coming into it, I don't think there was one amongst them that was remotely close to a good daily adrenal rhythm. And when someone's healthy, there's this nice burst of cortisol that wakes them up in the morning and they can shut it off to go to sleep. So there's this cortisol curve that we call it, or this cortisol slope. 
And when I say that the participants did not start with a healthy cortisol slope, an important point was that they didn't just all have high cortisol, you know, and they didn't just all have low cortisol. It was any time in the day they could have been too high or too low, but they were almost never where they should have been. So it wasn't really a matter of lowering it or raising it. It was really a matter of bringing it back into balance. And we saw that over the course of just 30 days, the diet corrected cortisol either by lowering it for those who needed it or raising it for those who needed it or changing the timing when that was needed. So there's more than a 50% shift for all the scores back to a healthy rhythm just with the dietary change. That is fantastic that just within 30 days you can see such dramatic results. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about genetics because I get this question a lot in my practice. You know, my parents are obese, my brother and sister are are obese, so there must be some kind of component of it's just in my genetics. Can you tell our listeners about that? Yeah, that's a that's a big one. And, you know, genes are, are very helpful in the, with the extent to which they can they can give us clarity and they can allow us to know strategies to improve our health. But I think for so many of us, they often end up becoming a real a real mental block. And we often think, just like you said, if my parents have X condition, then I'm pretty much locked into having X condition long term. And there have been some cases in which uh, identical twins have been separated at birth and raised raised separately, and they've been end up being really natural experiments that have allowed people to understand, you know, how much of a role genetics plays and how much of a role is limited. That genetics does not play. If if genetics were the sole factor, we would expect twins that were raised separately to have the same outcomes. And in many cases, we'll see this. Like for example, with like uh, height, you know, identical twins raised separately. They're pretty much the same height within a very small amount of variation. You know, things like eye color or hair color or skin color, same thing. But there was two big studies done in which they found, after the fact, uh, identical twins that were raised separately, and they just put them on the scale. They brought them back as adults and said, um, hey, you know, just compared the weights. And they also got a group of random people with the same demographics, about the same number of people to see just how much variation in weight there was from person to person when they were not related, when they did not share the same genes. And what they found was that, for sure, the twins had a lot of striking similarities, but the weight was not one of them. The, the difference of weight between one twin to another when they're raised separately was, was, no, was no different than that difference would be among random people. So, boiling it all down, the genes have minimal, minimal effect on weight. Pretty much no effect. Now, genes can make someone prone to have to have issues, but as far as the actual weight, uh, and I should back up and say, certainly elements of, of, a, of a shared family experience in terms of just uh-huh, uh-huh. perhaps family dynamics and stressors, or perhaps uh, the way one would schedule or pace their life and their expectations about life and their response to stress, those can be learned and shared. And also, things that you're exposed to early in life with in terms of pollutants or toxins, those could be similar within family members. But as far as your genes locking you into a weight, that does not seem to be a factor. So that's, that's good. I think that gives our listeners a lot of hope and that really they need to go out and find your book and read it and try your 30-day diet and do a, a, their own clinical trial. So as we are wrapping this up, Dr. Christensen, can you give our listeners three easy, actionable 
things that they can do today to help get themselves out of survival mode and get their cortisol rhythm uh, a little bit more into balance? For sure. My three favorite tri- tricks. Uh, the first one is is uh, take a deep breath. <laughs> well, that's a uh, good one, yes. <laughs> seriously, diaphragmatic breathing. So the, the practice is that you want to be either sitting or standing and be able to breathe deep with your diaphragm. Uh, if you're not used to this, just put your hand over your belly and practice as you breathe in to let your hand go as close in as possible, like almost moving towards your spine. And I'm sorry, as you breathe, as you, as you breathe out. And as you breathe in, the exact opposite. You want to push your belly out as far as possible. You know, so many of us were used to trying to hold it in to look leaner and holding it tight all the time. But during diaphragmatic breathing, you want to not do that. You want to actually ah, take a take a deep, deep breath, pushing your stomach way out, and then exhale and move it in as far as possible. And it's a good thing to take just a few seconds in the morning and practice it to kind of rehearse it and maybe even just watch your hand move to see how much depth you can get to your breathing and then throughout the day anytime you catch yourself just feeling tense or a bit frustrated doing three deep diaphragmatic breaths can completely change your nervous system and move your body away from that storage response so that's 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 one good trick to have in hand Um, another one is getting some bright light in the morning you know our our bodies have this sense of seasons and rhythms and if we don't see bright light, we think that we're moving towards winter, that the days are getting shorter. And that also triggers that survival, that storage response. You know, we don't we don't hibernate like bears, but to some extent, our metabolism does change as the seasons change. And a pitfall about living in the modern world is that, you know, we work indoors, we live indoors. And even if we're next to a window, the light intensity outside can be a thousand times greater than the light intensity inside. So two easy solutions, uh, one of which works some places sometimes of the year, and that is just being outside for half an hour within an hour of waking up. And you don't have to be, you know, bronzing and, you know, putting on the copper tone. You don't even have to have it on your skin. It's a matter of just even just seeing it. And you certainly don't have to look at the sun. You don't even have to have the sun directly exposed to you. You can even be in a shaded area. But being outdoors for half an hour within an hour of waking is huge. Now, Based on where you live and based on the time of year, when that's not an option, there's some really good light boxes. And they're pretty much like desk lamps. They're not much more complicated than that. But they generate uh, a high amount of light that's measured in a unit called lux, L-U-X. And the ones that work put up more than 10,000 lux. So within an hour of waking, just getting a half an hour of bright light outside or with a light box. And my third favorite strategy is one of one of my favorite personal habits, and that's just journaling on a regular basis, especially in the evening. You know, our our brains, our minds, we have our thoughts, and our thoughts feel so much like they're productive language, like we're sorting things out, but they're really not. You know, they're really just flipping around in parts of our brain that affect our emotions, but really don't lead to action or change. However, when we take those same thoughts and we convert them into language by writing them down on a piece of paper or by communicating them to someone, then they change completely. So we can have an idea that's making a, a loop and just creating trauma for us for you know days or months. And if you sit down and really write out through carefully and really just reflect on it, but also create language out of it, it can completely change the perspective both in our understanding of it, but also in the neurology. It can completely 
change the trapped charge that was in one part of the brain causing painful emotions. And it can move it to a different part of the brain and then alleviate that charge. So very simple thing. Get a, get a notebook that you can keep private and get a pen, make a little ritual out of it. Take five minutes and just free associate, do some open writing in the evening. And depth of sleep, quality of sleep, and overall stress resiliency can improve so dramatically with that simple step. I love those three tips. And I'm just going to add to the first one you mentioned about the belly breathing, that you could also go online and uh, do an internet search for meditation vibration bracelet. It's a little bracelet that you can buy and once an hour it gives a little vibration to remind you to do your three or five deep belly breaths. So Dr. Christensen, I know you've got to get going and start seeing your patients for the day. How can our listeners find out more about you? Where can they pick up your books? You know, easy thing, uh, drdrchristensen.com is my main hub. My books are everywhere books are sold, you know, bookstores, um, Amazon, iTunes, Barnes & Noble. But yeah, easy to find. And I'm always, always happy to get input from listeners and, you know, their top questions and really tailor content to them. So it's a, it's a fun process. And I'm always eager to help. Dr. Christensen, thank you so much for being my special guest today. This has been an awesome interview. Thanks again for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. That wraps up this very special episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show with Dr. Alan Christensen. And I want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in today. And I'd like to invite you back next week for another episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, the Functional Medicine Doc. Have a great week, everyone. You've been listening to the Functional Medicine Radio Show with your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, known internationally as the Functional Medicine Doc. Dr. Carrie is committed to helping patients find the root cause of their health problems and fixing the cause with natural treatments so they can feel normal again. Dr. Carrie is the founder of Functional Medicine Ontario and is the author of the hit book, Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again. Please tell your friends about the Functional Medicine Radio Show, and we'll see you next week with more from Dr. Carrie.